Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or one of our other series like 401 Access Denied or Go For It with Sarah Moffat, then make sure to like, follow, or subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it and you could be featured in a future episode. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of 401 Access Denied. Really excited to be here for another educational fun topic to bring as much education and knowledge and value to you so you can really kind of get your security best practices and strategies and this response and everything kind of, you know, going and planned and practiced. So hopefully this will be a very valuable session for you today. My name is Joseph Carson. I'm one of your co-hosts of the show. Uh, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic and based in Town Estonia. So I'm really excited to be here for this next episode. So passing it over to Mike to give us an update and what we're in for today. And he was, he was our special guest. Yep. Uh, Mike Groen, uh, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cybrary. Uh, really excited to uh, talk to DJ Fuller from Pathfinder uh, about what it's like to work with a security service provider and what all the different services are, incident response, um, and I'll throw it over to DJ to, to introduce himself. Uh, welcome to the Thanks. show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. DJ Fuller, um, CEO of Pathfinder. We're a Bozeman, Montana-based cybersecurity company. Really focused heavily on technical cyber services. We have offices in Washington, D.C. as well. Um, help companies in a variety of ways, which we can go into. Really, you know, more than anything, incredible team that we have. A lot of former DOD, intelligence community, cyber practitioners. Those are the ones that do the uh, real work every day and, and really bring that knowledge to our clients. So happy to be here. Thanks Fantastic. for joining us. Yep. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, one question I've got for you is really, you know, it's something that's, you know, for a long time that organizations, they don't, you know, they struggle to get the in-house expertise and they don't necessarily need to have the expertise. And it's really important for them to go out and actually get retainers and get services from those because it's not... Like you know, like organizations, you're not dealing with incidents. You're not dealing with security events every single day. So if you're not doing it every single day, what happens is your skill sets can become a bit, let's say, not up to speed and a bit maybe kind of um, not on par with those who are dealing with it every day. How important is it for organizations to actually sign up and make sure they actually get services from expertise, whether being into penetration testing or red teaming or incident response? How important is it for them to sign up and, and gain access to the services, especially when they need them? Um, based on the landscape that we're seeing right now, I mean, obviously, it's it's extremely important. I think um, one of the things that we hear from some folks and some clients sometimes who end up becoming clients is, well, my business isn't you know that important. It's not that sexy. We're not doing anything that someone would want to attack us. And, and re- really, like, no one's safe today. I mean, if you look at what I would call like the cyber powder keg forming, you know, in the cyber environment, the attack surfaces are just growing larger and larger as companies are scaling. Um, 
cyber adversaries are getting more innovative. And I think that's creating this unique scenario where um, attackers are increasingly motivated and really they just have this, this lush landscape to go and attack. And so I think, you know, what, what companies have to understand right now is that being on the defensive really means that the adversary is going to set the tempo time and place of the attack. So if you really have no control or very little control on when the attack's going to happen, and to your point, like you need to have thought about some of these services well prior to, to needing them. And mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing as far as how clients are treating it, you know, a few years ago, it would have been someone would do a pen test and a vulnerability scan because their legal agreement said it. And it was a check in the box for some compliance. Maybe it was SOC 2, PCI. But now we're actually seeing clients start to get ahead of it in their budgets, engage and say, how do we have a continuous program throughout the year that is right size for our organization? So it could be a pen test. It could be a red team. It could be multiple of those things. But it could be also a lot of just basics that they need to train their employees on. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to see this shift from people saying, well, you know, I'll just buy more insurance and, you know, we'll have to do one thing a year to check a box to how do I really start to defend myself and how do I create the right budget to do that? Can we just take a step back? Because I think, um, you know, and DJ, you and I have talked about this in the past, um, that just organizations, I think, come to you and don't even necessarily know, like, what's the difference between a pen test and a red team? And like, what are these different things? I think just sort of defining some of that stuff for the audience would be super helpful. Absolutely. So um, one of the areas we focus is on the offensive side, which are some of the services that you mentioned, um, oftentimes called the red, the red side of cyber. So a couple different things to to lay out. Usually, um, what people are getting when they think they're getting a pen test is a vulnerability scan. And there's multiple, and these are automated tools. There's, there's different scanners. There's some that are more prevalent in the industry, but a lot of times what will happen is someone will call that a pen test. Um, they'll run an automated scan, which kicks out the results. They'll put some executive summary on it and they'll present it to the client uh, you know, for something like $5,000 and say they got, they did their pen test. And, you know, that's, that's pretty far from a pen test. When, when you actually talk about penetration testing, whether it be a web app or physical infrastructure or, you know, any other applications that you have, you're actually talking about someone with an ethical hacking background that maybe uses multiple scanners to just understand where the gaps are in the network, but then is actually going in and doing manual testing to figure out how they would simulate an attacker getting in to the environment and really spending, you know, tens of hours. You know, if you're if you're buying a pen test and, and, and someone's spending less than 40 hours actually trying to find all the attack vectors in, it's it's you probably you're, I'm not gonna say you're wasting your money because every size every size company um, has different needs, but that that's kind of what a real pen test is. So Sometimes, you know, we hear clients say, well, we were quoted, you know, this for a pen test. And we're like, well, you're not getting a pen test, you know, so it, it's important. And, and then uh, a red team can mean a lot of things depending on if you want to bring physical into it. But the way that we oftentimes approach a red team, think of, think of a normal penetration test as from the outside, like there's a wall in the company. 
And it's really the external, looking at it from an external lens. When you talk about red teaming, it goes to what would be called an internal pen test. And so the idea is that an attacker is in your environment. They, uh, there's a couple ways to do that. There's different models to gain access. We, we prefer the assume breach model. So you'll hear different things. Like some people say, here's a contractor laptop. We want you to get into our environment starting with just a basic user. But we assume we use an assume breach model, which usually means someone was fished to the point where they clicked on an executable, which we all know, given enough time, we can do that. So you save the client money by not you know, spending hours phishing folks. And then the goal is to enter in with the lowest level access possible in a red team and prove that you can move laterally and then vertically through their system to eventually get to their crown jewels. And why is this important? Because that's what we, we hear in the world of ransom these days. So what, what are attackers ransoming? Well, they're usually ransoming the crown jewels to be able to say, pay me or your business is over. So um, that is, that's essentially a red team is an internal pen test. Um, we're seeing a lot more companies do that. We're seeing automation start to play into the red team side of the house. Um, some different opinions on, on that in the industry. I still think the manual touch is extremely important. The AI doesn't exist that yeah. can move and find all the holes laterally. So that's, that's kind of what folks and clients should think about when they're setting kind of their offensive budget. I would think on the on the automation side, I mean, it's like anything automated, right? If you can use some automated tools to sort of save some money and save some right. steps that, right, you still need the manual, but like, hey, now we can just do that much more on the same size budget yeah. because we've, we do sort of a manual internal scan, you know, we do these scans. I mean, it's the same reason why the um, scans and other things exist. Um, right. In talking to other companies, I know like one of the, um, one of the big questions or go- the conversation points with, um, prospects or clients or whatever and the service provider is like how much information to give to this company you're hiring right and it's like and i know my friends that work at them they're like the more information you give us the the better off because we can spend hours and hours and hours spending your money digging up this information or you can just give it to us because an attacker has unlimited time they'll eventually get the same information so you might as well just sort of give it to us up front rather than trying to simulate a total outside person yeah. focus on what your goals are right. what, what is right. the success that you, you measure success and try to you know minimize the waste where possible it's, right. it's ultimately what you want to achieve without a doubt and we see so we see it um, very, you know it, it's different client by client some just don't have the budget. And so in that case, it's what are the goals? What are the crown jewels? What's the information that we need to show you where your weaknesses are so you can defend against them as quick as possible? However, there's some folks like some of the very large institutions that are worried about a lot of different things that will say, here's a thousand hours, like go and tell us what we don't know. We tend to like to start with very little knowledge. We just say, give us a, you know, an internal user, give us, um, you know, remote access via VPN. And then we'll tell you when it's better for you to give us something where you're going to spend too much money. For example, we had a client recently where we um, got to a point where we proved that we could download a pretty large file that would then give us access to more users to then get to their crown jewels. And we said, you know, instead of 
us spending five hours downloading this file, we can do it. Just go ahead and give us the next credit, you know, the next level of access because that's you're saving money. Now we can save saving time. So I think it depends. And you're exactly right on the tools. We use some of the tools, anything that can help us save time so that we can do more manual work for the client is the, is really the goal. And I think that's how it has to be looked at. So, so question, I mean, I've done quite a few penetration tests in the past and, and, and participated in red teaming as well. And one of my main goals is always to stay as stealthy as possible, you know, raise no alarms, you know, create no flags, uh, which means that, you know, introducing as very little tools as possible. So what I tend to do is living off the land. I look at what tools are available already to me, whether they're using something like um, a seam that you can get access to, or you're looking at maybe system center or some type of automation, or are they using PowerShell automatically? Are they using things like PS exact that you can just hide, you know, within the shadows and darkness there that you can make it look like it's normal IT operations? Where do you sit in between, you know, introducing new automation tools? What I tend to do is I try to take things out and do the automation in my own place versus bringing the tools into their environment where it can create much more noise. Um, what's, what's your kind that, of approach that, on that? that? Yeah, we, we, we approach it the exact same way that you just said. We'd rather bring it out of, yeah. out of the environment. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that we're, you know, sorry to, sorry to pivot a bit, but one of the, you, you made me think of something. One of the things that we're actually seeing is that companies are increasingly buying more purple teams. These days. Mm-hmm. I've seen that as well. And I think it's because they recognize that you could pay for a red team and two weeks, someone's going to come back and tell you where you need to increase your visibility, defend, but what a better opportunity to sit side by side with the blue team and say, we just did this. Did you, did you see this? Do you have visibility that let you know that we just downloaded a seven? Okay. You don't. Why is that important? Because Mm -hmm. the constant struggle in the industry is like blue and red trying to work together. I think that's that is the most critical thing. We need them to work together. That's why you know purple teaming is so important because we need to one is make otherwise we'll end up we're just going to basically do retrospectives. We're going to do lessons learned, but we're actually not going to do anything to stop it. And that's the whole purpose right. of purple teaming is to to make sure that the defenders know the techniques that's used so they can actually put the right the, the goal, my goal, I always have a, a methodology that I, I take, which is the more noise I can force the attacker to take. The more risks, the more noise that they make throughout the environment, the more better chance I have at detecting them. And that's what you want to force them to do. You want, you want to force them to be noisy. Because my goal, when I look at my methodology, it's, you know, be as stealthy as possible, is to introduce very little, you know, um, use uh, resources efficiently, doing it as the quickest time I possibly can uh, with the least amount of money. So stealthy is the most important. If, if I can't be stealthy, then that's where I start to increase everything else. So the more risk we force them to take, the more noise they'll create. Um, and ultimately, if they start creating noise and you force them to take that risk, you have a better chance to detect them much earlier. And that's really, that's where me, my go- thoughts is around purple teaming is that that's their goal, is to force more noise in the environment so they can actually detect them much quicker and put the right controls in place that will actually make it more challenging, more difficult. Um, so that, that's kind of my methodology and approach I've always taken. So... Yeah, I mean, I think there's, it's very similar to how I got into like cybersecurity in the first place. I was an application mm-hmm. developer. I think I've told this story before. I was, I was like responsible for being the liaison with the team that we'd hired to do an actual like 
pen test and I watching them use their tools and their techniques. And they were, they were happy to share it with me because they're like, the more you understand, the next time we come through, this stuff will all be buttoned up and we can focus on the next level of it, like the next like higher thing. So I think that's also an important part is like that budget that the, the, the money spent, right? Like, great, you got this report back, but what good is that going to do you if the next time you go through this process, you're just going to get basically the same findings. Like you need that educational piece. You need the blue team. You need the, the application developers. You need everybody to understand the abstract concepts that these attackers are using so that they can use their brains to better defend one, as well. One of the... Um... You know, we had to, we, we evolved a bit this year with our red teaming and purple teaming because, um, and we could kind of talk about what we're seeing in the different size clients just in general. But, you know, we have a, we have a lot of clients that probably could pay for a full red team, but it's not worth their money yet. You know, you like within two hours, we'll, we'll have your box, you know, it'll be, it'll be over. And then you spend a lot of money and it's not worth it. So, we, we kind of were challenged to come up with a new way, you know, a new product, if you will, where we're trying to use it more as a training tool. And so we're going in and we're spending, um, we do it every other month and we go in and we build a different, uh, I wouldn't call it completely automated, but we do almost this unit level red teaming or purple teaming where we have a specific goal of training at the end of it. So we'll start out and typically an attacker will go in, as you know, and they'll execute a TTP. They'll leverage that TTP to find something to move laterally. So what we're trying to do inside of some of these companies that are trying to become more sophisticated is we don't move laterally. We'll execute the TTP. We'll prove out that case. So, you know, we just proved why it's important to have segmentation. We'll stop there. We'll have a conversation with the client go build segmentation, right? And then the next, you know, two months later, we'll execute another TTP. And the idea is that at the end of 12 months, you've essentially helped them mature to a point where in the next year, they may have the capability to really test that and do a full red or purple team. So it's kind of a little bit of unit level testing combined with combined with training and helping them become better because a lot of clients are just figuring out where to start right now. Absolutely. Get get the basics yeah. done because ultimately if you don't have the basics done, you know, you're gonna be wide open to to attacks. And I think that's great. I, I really like that approach that you're really going through and, and focusing on specific details, making sure that we find this one, let's make sure we actually close it immediately and then basically then to go to the next one. So really a much more of a maturity type model right. than just a quick checkbox, you know, spray and pray type of approach that right. we hope we find everything, close everything up. That this is much more pragmatic, much more, uh, let's say, you know, strategic into making sure that let's, you know, something like, I, I guess, you know, organizations this year where, you know, where they've opened up RDP. Let's just take RDP as a specific, you know, type of attack um, and make sure that basically, you know, we detect all the weaknesses and all the risks that organizations taken and let's close that. Let's just focus on the one, uh, you know, specific attack factor. And then we move to the next one and the next one. And then I think it's much more, let's say, it, it allows more maturity and more, you know, quicker educational learning. Um, so, and it, you know, taking the most critical assets, I would tend to do first and kind of layer it down uh, following that. I, I like that approach. It's good. There's probably a lot of people listening thinking, well, I don't really know if I have anything to penetration test or if I have 
you know, anything to red team. So it's probably not applicable, but you know, on the, um, on the maturity curve or the sophistication curve, I mean, I don't know what, what you're seeing, but we find that it's hard in this industry to segment necessarily by revenue or employee size. It's usually by the amount of effort that they put into cybersecurity, the sophistication level. And so for some of our clients, I would say on the, I wouldn't call them the lower end of the sophistication, but maybe they're a professional services company that, you know, they're like, well, we have O365, we use SharePoint, we talk to our customers on Teams and we send a couple emails. And, and you know, in those cases, I think folks really these days, if you want to talk about instant response, have to start looking at BEC, business email compromise. And it's not even what it was a year ago. You know, it used to be phishing, buy one, get one free from this mm. store, click on it. It's becoming extremely targeted. Attackers are getting into these, you know, O365 or Google Workspace environments and they're hanging out there. And they're usually hanging out somewhere where invoices fly back and forth. And, yeah. and they're winning. So for those types of people, we oftentimes say, very basically, you need to worry about your cloud applications like Google Work, uh, Google Workspace, O365. There's very basic security audits that you can do because a lot of times those, those products come out of the box built for productivity, but not for security. doesn't mean that security isn't available. just means it's not automatically enabled the right way coming out of the box. So you know, a lot of times we go in, we'll do like a 12-point audit of both of those systems, depending on the one that they have, will come back with recommendations on security controls that they should enable. And then they will, uh, and then we can do those for them so that they have the right multi-factor authentication rules set up. They have the right logging set up. I mean, you can't do a whole lot from a threat hunting or an IR perspective if you don't have logs enabled. Oh, that's, that's, my, that's my worst nightmare. Every time I get in, I mean, I'm actually, I've like, system back there i've been doing a forensics on uh, a ransomware case and <laughs> the attackers basically come in deleted application system security logs vpn logs uh partial logs and i'm going and there's no archive there's no backups there's no nothing so what you're trying to do is just recover from everything right. else around it that may have touched you know that might give you some visibility using things like Plasso or other types of you know correlation tools. It will give you some type of timeline, and then you're trying to fill in the gaps. And it's it's getting to the point where you know if you if you don't have logs, or you, if you have logs only in certain areas, it only gives you this tiny little view, and it means that you're you're just it means that you have to use your experience. You have to use your knowledge into here's what I've seen in a similar environment that I can make assumptions and kind of fill in the gaps. But that's my worst case is when I go into an organization and I'm dealing with an instant response and I have no logs to deal with. What you're doing right. is... And you, I think it, that's, that's, that brings up a, like there's, there's lo having logs, but then also having backups right. of the logs and offsite back, like all the rest of it. And I think that leads into another thing that we were talking about, which is like, what are some of the common mistakes? Right. Like, you, I mean, like there's going to be an incident. There's going to be something. So one that happens, like what are you seeing, DJs? Like what, yeah. what do you think are like some pretty common mistakes people make? What should you do? What should you not do? Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love, I'd love your opinion as well, Joe, but you know, I think some of the common mistakes that we see and this, this a lot of times applies to folks that haven't invested in an incident response retainer planning table topic, you know, they're just not prepared. First off, number one, the communications plan completely breaks down from the start. Um, the wrong information gets out. 
information gets out that shouldn't, communication isn't right to the board, whatever it may be. So that's, I think that's number one. I think you just hit on it, Joe. Ms. Han, or, or you did as well, um, Mike, mishandling of evidence. I think they think a lot of folks say we're doing the right thing by shutting this down or making a quick backup, but they're oftentimes inadvertently destroying volatile data. So the important point is that you have someone that knows how to come in and preserve the data right away. Um, I think number three, and we touched on it with the O365 and Google Workspace um, security settings, is misconfigured applications um, for security. So, you know, the big challenge that we're facing, everything's moving to the cloud. So how do you do incident response in the cloud? And I think logs is a big one, but if you're using all these systems, the important piece is that you have set up the right user level access and enabled that user, whether it be an admin or someone else with all of the right security settings. Because the time to say, how do we go in and create an admin user and see if we even have logs for the system? <laughs> is it when the attack's happening? And another thing for folks to know is that time, you know, when it comes to some of those cloud environments, time is important um, because they'll say, okay, well, I'll try to get the access. I'll talk to this. We're, we're, we're triaging all these things. Some systems are set up so that it only keeps seven days. So it's going to overwrite itself. And you may have no, info. to, to yeah. Joe's point, you, now you have no information on the attacker that you would have had had you had that incident response plan in place. And I think the you mentioned it earlier, and I'd say the fourth thing from a mistake standpoint is not, not um, giving a previous red flag maybe the due diligence it deserves, like underestimating it. Something weird happened. You thought one account was compromised and you said, well, we just had them change their password. They should be good. It's unfortunate that we live in this world, but you, should, you really have to follow those types of things up with a threat hunt or something else to ensure that that wasn't the breach. And now someone's hanging out for a month. There's been countless cases of very large reportable incidences where it's been traced back that it happened a year prior. And they've just been... So I think focusing on those types of things, but more than anything, have an incident response plan and practice it. And a lot of those things are mitigated. So, I mean, we talked to a cyber insurance and a cyber yeah. insurance company that not that long ago, um, their recommendation was like, the first thing you should do is call us. And then, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I feel agree. like maybe, maybe not. I, I, is that the first call or is you, the, or should I call my service? You know, I, I think it's important to make sure that my insurance provider and my service, the company that's actually going to be providing the service, have a relationship so that so, I'm yeah. not like bringing in the wrong, so that my cyber so, insurance company isn't like, oh, you brought in somebody we right. don't work with. I have an opinion on that, but <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's one of the ones that you have. It's one of those contacts that you have to inform. Um, and unless, I mean, if you might be a small business, you might not have a retainer ready with an incident response team or somebody who's done uh was it uh, digital forensics? So your insurance company might have those resources. If they're providing a full 360 service, they might come in with a legal counsel. They might come in with PR readiness. They might come in with specific expertise um, that you can leverage. So it really comes down to what relationship you have and what type of insurance that you have. That right. might be the first, if you call, if they're providing a full 360 service. If there's just right. insurance, 
you probably want to have other services available ready. You want to have a PR, you want to have legal, you want to have a, a financial person who can give you, you know, understanding about impact analysis. You want to have uh, instant responders who can come in and do evidence gathering. So it really comes down, but you, you should have something. You shouldn't not be doing this, like calling, looking in the yellow pages of the book to try and find it. You're saying my first move shouldn't be DuckDuckGo. I mean, the interesting thing is, you're right, the full 360 services, they have it all for you right there. But the majority of the time, this is what we see happening. Um, is because because someone hasn't bought a huge incident response retainer with a company, they're not going to get primary, you know, priority handling. So something weird is going to happen. And let's say that they will give a couple scenarios. Let's say they do have an incident response provider and they don't. They don't. They're like, wait a second, we have incident response insurance, right? And, uh, you know, cyber insurance. Go dig that policy out. You dig the policy out, there's a 1-800 number. Okay, call that number. And it's patching through to the law firm that has been outsourced to determine if there's been an incident. Someone's going to answer the phone. You're going to tell them what you think happened. They're going to say, they're going to collect a bunch of info. The clock starts, right? The billable hour starts. And in some amount of time, they get back to you to let you know if you have a payable incident. In the meantime, you're like, mm-hmm. We're losing business. Like we don't, everyone's scared. We don't know what's happening. (laughs) So then they're going to come back, call it 48 hours or later and say, okay, this is something that we're going to pay for. Here's a list of firms that we work with. Pick one of them. You're going to call those. You're going to start down the list, right? And they're going to say, we can get to you in a couple of weeks. Like we're super busy right now. Um, No, by the way, it's going to be very expensive. And now you're kind of dead in the water for a period of time. So that's kind of what we're seeing from the folks who maybe don't have a plan for the folks that do the way that we, um, the way that we pitch our retainer is we do not go into it with a ton of hours because we understand that small, this, this isn't a huge focus for the medium sized businesses, but typically we go in and we say, okay, for this incident response retainer, half of the hours are going to be used by us to help you get to a point administratively where you should be. Mm -hmm. IR planning is an example. We'll build your IR plan for you. We'll we'll rehearse your IR plan with you, i.e. tabletop exercise. We'll train your employees. We'll do all the stuff so that when it happens, because it will happen, you've at least gone through it once and that will make you 80% better. And, and so, and then the other half of the incident response retainer has to be kept in reserve for when the phone call comes. And so take the same example. Call the 1-800 number. They're, they're putting you in the holding pattern, right? And you're waiting. In the meantime, we, we are on site virtually within six hours. And we're spending, let's say, 40 hours in your environment to at least do a couple things. One, we're, we're helping you understand what happened. We're preserving the data. We're starting to do the forensics. So then at this point, the law firm comes back and they say, you know, you have, a, you have an incident. It'll be paid for. Use one of these 20 firms. You say, well, I'm using this firm. Hmm. And oftentimes, if they, you know, look at a firm like ours or someone, they'll say, okay, like they know what they're doing. You can use them. Even if they say you can't, we've spent, let's say, 40 hours in your environment and we're handing over 
a ton of information to the firm that you're forced to use where you haven't lost time, money, saving you money. I mean, it just you prevented it from escalating as well, from getting worse. Yeah, prevent it. So I, I, I completely agree because it reminds me, I remember going back a couple of years to, to Nalpetia situation. Mm-hmm. And here in Europe, um, of course, you had one of the large companies, Merck, who became a significant victim of that. Right. And they hired up all the consultants to, to do recovery. So literally any other company who became victim, there was no one available. There was no consultants, no services. And if you were lucky to get, you're going to pay, you know, probably double what you would have paid if it was basically, you know, a single incident. Um, so those are the situations. And to your point as well, I think it's really important to have a relationship and have some understanding because coming in blind to an environment and not having an understanding of what the business is, where the assets are, what the naming conventions are, what processes have in place, makes your job much more difficult. And you probably... Um, you'll probably waste several hours just trying to get some knowledge about what is the landscape, what am I dealing with here? Um, where if you've had previous relationship, you've been in, you understand their business, you've got to, you understand who the people are, the contacts, the skill sets they have. It makes things go much more smoother. The communication is more fluid. You can respond quicker, and you don't waste that time trying to just get an idea of you know the environment. You have some understanding because. You've been basically partnering with them along along that you know uh, experience. So it means you're up to the point where you can really respond much faster, much more efficiently, and quickly move through the steps to where you're already getting past the eradication phase. You've got a containment phase, and you start building. Hopefully, within 24 hours, you're already building a recovery plan. Um, if right. you're not in a recovery plan in 24 hours, you're starting to really impact. Revenue, business, and everything else that comes out, you know, out of you know the longer that you're down. So I think that's really important for organizations to consider, and that's why having a retainer, having an organization um, on hand with the number that you're paying for, that basically when you call, that you'll have somebody respond within the hour, that you'll have basically somebody available as quickly as possible, rather than waiting. You know that you know you get to an organization who's busy there because. The insurance company might be actually dealing with multiple instances at the same time um, just because maybe they're a national or state level or, or global provider that makes them much more limited resources. So so I think it's really important. I think organizations do definitely ha- need to have expertise available, especially when they need them, because for things like ransomware cases, time is the most critical thing that you have. If you don't respond as quickly as possible then you're going to start actually having more systems getting infected, more data becoming unavailable. The ransom demand will just get bigger because <laughs> ransom demands are related to how many systems are actually, what, what size is your database? How many systems are impacted? That's the questions they'll have. And that's where they'll go to the little calculator and determine how much Bitcoins you need to pay. Um, and the more that you can prevent that, the quicker you can sever that uh, uh, active uh, attack, the more you're saving the company. Um, and I right. think that's what's important. It's um, it's not that expensive to have a very the retainer that we that we sell. Obviously, if someone wants to buy a ton of hours, like we'll sell it to them. But the retainer we sell is not that expensive, and the what you're getting for it, actually building your plan and testing it. I mean, if you read various reports out there, you know, from some of the industry juggernauts, you'll, you'll typically find that the two or three biggest mitigating factors reducing cost in a cyber attack um, are related to having an incident response plan and testing it. And for a lot of companies, that can translate into a million and a million and a half dollars easily. 
um, to your point, mm-hmm. just time is time is important. So it's it's yeah. it's so important these days to have it. And most folks within their organization, especially small to medium sized, they they absolutely don't have the forensics capability in house. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think that's another, even the bigger organizations, right? I feel like no one really, there's no way you can have the staff on staff unless you're, unless you're dealing with an attack every day. Like you can't justify the cost of having these people, you know, and, and if you do, if they do have that expertise, but they're not exercising it every day because they have some other job, which is their main job, then when something happens, they're going to be behind. They're going to be, you know, knocking off the rust or, or doing and getting up to speed. And I think it's, you know, um, similar to like any number of other things where sometimes you just need that ability to flex up because something has happened and I just need to reach out and get the right people with the right expertise. Yeah. Um, I think I equated it um, to, Earlier, yeah. you know, fighter, right, fire, fighting, fighting fires. So you don't you, want a you know, doctor, doctor sitting in your house, you know, right, right, exactly. whenever you need to. <laughs> so. Right. But you always have a plan and like, I don't know, like we have, you ha- like take a school, for example, they have a plan in the event of a fire. They have fire systems in place. They know what to do. They practice it all the time. Um, and the fire department also shows up. Like they don't just depend on their internal resources to fight that fire or having gone through this plan or having a fire marshal or whatever. There's all of these things that, that go, in, go into that. Um, and so, you know, making sure that you know who to call in the event of an emergency. You know, um, the, the funny part is, is the important part. that same school is probably more, it's probably a higher probability they're going to hit with a cyber attack than a fire. <laughs> yeah, oh, these absolutely. Days, these days, it's probably <laughs> higher. Yeah, the, the likeliness has changed significantly. So, um, absolutely. But I think, Mike, to, to your point, I, I agree that the organization, what they need to have internally is a coordinator, somebody who is familiar with the process, somebody who can manage and, and, and project, you know, and plan and, and make sure that things are running smoothly according to what they've already pre-tested. Um, so they do need to have some type of coordinator internally. Um, but I think their job is just more for the relationship to make sure that the right people are informed. So they might be informing the executive team um, to what's happening. Um, so I, I, I don't believe they need to have permanent incident response in-house, but they need somebody who's familiar, somebody who... You know, mm-hmm. like, 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 you know, in, in schools or, or, or offices, they will have some type of safety officer who's, who's familiar where things are, you know, where that red button is or, you know, how to make the alarm or how to, who, you know, when to contact the incident response team. I think they need to have somebody who's ready for that, but a school nurse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah somebody, <laughs> somebody who's, who's, who's a good awareness. Right. Um, somebody who's, who, who knows when, you know, they can look at something and say, this is something bad. We should deal with it. We should, you know, hit, hit the emergency button. And, and, and Well, yeah, I think that's another, and I think DJ touched on it earlier, is that notion of like being able to recognize like, oh, wait a second, this is just a tip of an iceberg. This is a flag. This isn't like, <sighs> oh, somebody's password, like whatever, we'll change it and move on. Like, right, someone who can recognize and throw a flag on the plane, be like, no, 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 so, this is potentially an indicator of a much larger problem. Let's yeah. go ahead and... and you know, sort of look into that. So DJ, question to you, and this, when I get through, when you start, when you get called in and you respond to an incident and you're not dealing with it and you start gathering, and you, you're looking through the, you know, you have logs and you're gathering through and you're, you're getting visibility. What's really, for me, what gets really frustrating is, is that in many cases, the attackers were not silent. There's so much noise in the logs that, you know, servers rebooting, 
And all of a sudden you're like, you know, well, has anyone looked at the logs of why that server was rebooting? And it was because basically they were actually running scans and downloading as a staging machine or it was patient zero, that there was so much noise in logs that they were overlooked. They just thought, ah, it's, it's nothing, it happens. Well, it's, a, it's, a self-heal, it's a self-healing system. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. obviously it's a technical problem and, and just recruited itself. <laughs> I mean, we, we see it even a little bit more, you know, a lot of times we'll get a phone call for just basic business email compromise. And it could be, hmm. I almost wired the money. I did wire the money. Because um, the attackers are, I mean, attackers are getting good. I mean, they're, the ones that we're seeing lately are they're sitting there, they're intercepting invoices. They're making, I mean, PDF editing them with, with uh, software these days. They're changing an account number and people are and people are doing it. So a lot of times when we first come in and it's like, well, have you seen an increase in weird phishing emails or people asking you like weird emails from internally? And they'll say, yeah, we have. And it's like, I mean, that's not even in the logs, right? That's just right in front of your, well, your face every day. So it's... um. It's so important to, and I mean, we tell our clients that they can use their incident response retainer for threat hunting after maybe a BEC attack. We, we don't really care. We just want them to be safe. Yeah. Because because your point, that could be somebody, because I, I always think it's important to make sure you, even the smallest things um, could be the indicator of a massive attack right. that's kind of forthcoming. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's also misdirection as well. You'll find that, um, if you're getting somebody poking a hole or, or doing some type of phishing or you know information gathering in order to get details, it might be because they're actually planning something bigger to go through another door that you're not basically observing. So I think it's really important that if you do have, and I will say one of, one of the, my favorite things is to try and be unpredictable as well. Mm. If the more unpredictable you are, and the more random things you could do from a security perspective is you can you know bring that noise and bring that visibility to the surface and you know threat point, threat hunting is something that shouldn't be planned it should be basically done ad hoc you know when you need to when you just think you've got a gut feeling sometimes that we need to just go and take a look mm-hmm. let's do it now let's basically not, let's not spend 6 months talking about it let's just do it and let's see what we find that randomization misdirection can it can sometimes really bring a lot of things to surface that you wouldn't typically get just from normal day to day operations. My biggest piece of advice I can give is multi-factor authentication. You know, like we tell some folks, you know, you could tell you're talking on the phone with some of the clients and I'm like, here's a free one, MFA. You know, you don't, we won't even charge you for that. It's like, we tell <laughs> them, you know, if you're, if you don't have, and I know it's hard for some folks that don't want to accept tech, it's not fun that every time your IP address changes or you're on a new Wi-Fi network, you're going to get MFA from your phone, four places on your Mac, you know, but it's like driving down the street in your car without a seatbelt on. Like it's, I mean, yeah. for me, the more frustrating thing is all of the services that we use that either don't support MFA or don't support SSO so that we can have it go back to the system that we use MFA. You know, we have MFA set up mm-hmm. and yet, there's these systems that like we were sort of forced to use because for business reasons, we've chosen this is the best provider of the service. Their security is subpar uh, in some way. And that's like, for me, one of the more frustrating yeah. parts is like, well, that's great. We have, you know, we, we've set that we've configured this and it, it's going to use SSO and it's going to enforce MFA because our SSO, you know, what we're using for SSO uses MFA and this is going to be great. And then it turns out like there's no way to turn off 
the username and password authentication. Like there's all like they still the our end users still can use username and password rather than using the SSO. Like yeah. there's no way to just restrict so, it to SSO. And, and Mike, things that, like that, that are frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. In that case, one of the things is that you need to have two decisions: you either um, go with either like a privilege access solution um, and actually filter everything through that way. So then, mm-hmm. before you even get onto that system, you're, you're managing the security controls beforehand. Mm-hmm. Or the second right. point is, is that sorry, then that has to be on a segregated part of the system. You can't integrate it because that ends up being basically a, a pivot or lateral move if you use the same credentials. So you have to make a choice. You have to decide that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna accept the risk that you're exposing, or you'll take additional security controls to make sure that you're actually minimizing that risk. Um, and that's always it comes on. It's it's a business decision, but they have to understand. You have to. We have to be the translators to the business to help them say, if you do this and you continue, you know, having a system that is basically using weak credentials, no additional security controls, and we're using our same Active Directory account to access the system as other systems. Um, then we're going to have basically, you know, we're, we're a security incident waiting to happen. So we better go and have our right. incident response team on hand and we better have it in place because <laughs> it, we're going to need to use it. Um, so you have to, you know, you have to create that balance and you have to create that expectation. Um, so I think that's really important, especially when you, you're looking at those legacy systems. Yeah, for it's it's a lot of the new, it's not even legacy systems. It's these new SaaS systems that are online, you know, and we, right. We're yeah, taking the, actually a lot of active steps to, 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 change things around on how some of those work and then mm-hmm. um uh and then also access you know provision they, just the level of access the they just don't have the um the roles with fine-grained enough controls it's yep. sort of like well i need this person to be able to do x but in order you know but it turns out like well only admins can do that it's like ah, uh, like i don't want to yeah. give and this that's, person. that's that's what probably that's access, another frustrating yeah that's what privilege yeah. access allows you to do is say mm-hmm. you know yeah. this button here <laughs> yeah, you know, was it? I, I'll give them. I don't need to give them admin access, but this button when they push it, I'll actually elevate it on demand in the background, so they don't have right. to have, you know, they don't have to have right. that full rolling scope. You'll deal with those elevations when they need to. Um, yeah. So that's what you're able to to achieve. So you can still have standard account role based uh, in a much more granular way. But DJ, it's been fantastic talk, talking to you. It's really given me a lot wow. of insights and, and understanding. And I agree, uh, you know, with the, with the purple teaming, I think that's for organizations, I think really where it really thinks about, not just about penetration testing and red teaming, but also about, you know, getting the defense, making sure you take steps to, to actually put the right controls in place to really mitigate and to help organizations get you know, progress to maturity to to make it more difficult for attackers to be successful. So it's been fantastic having you on the show. Is there any any final thoughts you would like to to share with the audience? So I think definitely multi-factor authentication. Uh, we're giving some free yeah. consulting MFA. here on the podcast these days. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, MFA. <laughs> so. and, uh, no, it's been it's been great uh, having this conversation. Um, you know, I just let people know no one's no one's safe. I don't say that as a scare tactic, but a lot of companies just think that they're not sexy enough to get hit. And there's just so many things that can be done from a not a huge budget, a huge cost standpoint that can just exponentially increase. You know, what we oftentimes tell clients is they're low hanging fruit, right? Our goal right now in this defensive nature of what we're trying to mature clients to is just just pull your fruit higher than your peers. And and the the passerby attacker are gonna is going to look at you and say, why would I spend two hours trying to get into your network when I can spend 10 minutes on the 10 beside you? So I think that's the biggest thing is, is even if you don't have a big budget, do something to make yourself a little bit more 
secure to give that attacker a brief hesitation on how long it's going to take them to, to look at you. The, the bike lock yeah. approach, right? Yeah. Well, I, Which I, bike I, is going to get stolen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've used the same. So, one, you know, back, back when I lived in Belfast and you, had, you, know, you, you went to park your car, you'd always park your car next to a nicer car that had less security because <laughs> you knew <laughs> the attackers, you knew the thieves were going to go after that one first. Um, and that was my methodology. I always make sure that, you know, when you were, you were choosing your parking, you chose it wisely. <laughs> so, I always park next to the Honda Accord. Yeah. That's yeah, the- exactly. <laughs> As we say in Montana, you don't have to outrun the bear, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just need to be faster than your friend. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, but no, happy to have any conversations that ever come up and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, how, how can people contact you or, or forget further information? I guess we'll also provide your contact details in the show notes. Yeah. Um, con- it's you- pathfinder.io, uh, pathfinder with a, with a Y instead of an I. Um, we have an info at, you can reach out directly to me, DJ, it's just DJ at pathfinder.io. Conversations are free. We're, we're happy to have them all day. Um, we're, we're a like-minded group of former, uh, folks that served in the government. So we just want our companies in our country to be safe and be doing something, even if it has no economic value to our company. Yeah, we're all defenders at heart. Right. That's what we, we, we want to make sure resiliency and, def, you know, defending, um, that's what basically, you know, we will, we'll even for me, it's, it's a passion to make sure that we, you know, um, basically we, we make the internet a safer place. Right. So that was fantastic, DJ, having you on the show. Mike, always great having your uh, intellectual conversation with you all the time. It's fantastic. Uh, and uh, hopefully the audience have really found this interesting and uh, really enlightening. And definitely, you know, don't wait. Uh, make sure that if you don't have an instant response plan or you don't have a service provider that's able to provide those, uh, make sure you get out and start looking because, absolutely, you know, everyone's a target. Everyone at some point is going to become a victim. And it really determines how you can respond and how you can recover and how resilient you are to attacks. It really determines how well your business survives and how quickly you can back, get back to serving your customers and, and your, your employees and everyone else. So make sure that you have something planned, in place, tested and ready, because that really makes sure that you know you, you can be more, more resilient uh, to attacks. So it's a pleasure. Stay safe and tune in every two weeks for 401 Access Denied. And look forward to future uh, podcasts and talking with you further. So thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.